Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Gray Malkin Lane podcast. Once in a while, I like to do a bonus episode. We have little panel discussions and do things for fun. But because I recently interviewed Steve Rude, uh, I reread Children of the Atom, the X-Men miniseries that's just infamous. And uh, we're going to do a little script reading today. I'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, I am thrilled to be joined by three of my favorite podcast friends, uh, Justin and Alicia from the X-Wife podcast and uh, and Steve Duda. Uh, let's have you guys all introduce yourselves. Let us know your gender pronouns and what's your favorite little x-men nerdy fact you want to share today <laughs> that's that's all i got for intros uh alicia you first okay um i'm alicia she her hers and uh i just am really excited because uh if if you all can see behind me i am just about finished with my wolverine hellfire gala look and um it was a lot of fun to try to figure out how to make that into reality so I'm just really excited about that. So that's my nerdy X-Men thing for today. You're so fucking creative and I love it. Uh, <laughs> Justin, you're next. I'm Justin. I use he, him, his pronouns and I'm surrounded by my pyro cosplay from New York Comic Con last year, along with more action figures than any child I know has ever had. So <laughs> that's where I'm at. That's where I'm coming from. And Steve. Yeah, I'm Steve, and my pronouns are they and them, and I see you're wearing a Wolverine shirt in addition to the Wolverine talk. I'm also wearing my favorite Wolverine shirt right now, which is a three Wolverine moon, in which they're all howling at the moon, because, you know, Wolverines, they're exactly like wolves. Uh, fun times, every time. Love that. Love that. <laughs> and then I'm Chad. I use he, him. I, uh, I am a 43-year-old father of two, and I just have stacks of podcast projects all over my office in the podcast we're getting ready to come up on like the first appearances of Havoc and Lorna Dane and uh, Mesmero and the living the living pharaoh slash monolith and I've been researching these characters that I haven't thought about in a long time and it's delightful uh, so that's my nerdy life my uh, we we were at dinner last night and my husband mentioned the podcast to someone and he's like if you like X-Men comics, please talk to Chad after dinner because I don't want to hear any more X-Men this week. <laughs> I feel like that was the clutch nature of getting Alicia in on it so that I, I had someone that I could finally get that energy out to and mm -hmm. contractually she would have to because of the podcast. I've got like, I've got like 10, 10 X-Men friends locally. And several of them have been on the podcast, George, Michael, and Corey, most notably. And whenever they come over, Mike's like, oh, fuck. That's <laughs> all you're going to talk about. <laughs> Luckily, uh, at while podcasting about the X-Men. So that's all we do anyway. <laughs> uh, okay, so I'm going to do a little intro here. In late 1999, writer Joe Casey wrote X-Men Children of the Atom with gorgeous pencils by Steve Rude and inks by Andrew Pipoy. Colors by Paul Mounts, letters by Jim Novak, and Mark Powers was the editor. Uh, Casey did deep research into the prehistory of the X-Men as it was presented in the 1960s backstories, where we see like lonely, rich Professor X recruiting teenage mutants to be his students, and they all have their own histories. We've been covering those backstories a lot on my podcast, those little five-page backups at the end of every issue in the run that we're in. Now, Chris Claremont would later add an incredible amount of backstory to everybody, Xavier and Magneto and Cyclops, uh, as well as trauma backgrounds for Jean Grey. But there was a lot of stuff before Claremont ever came along. And this seems to be what, uh, what Joe Casey primarily drew upon in his research for this series. 
So back then, we learned that Professor X's powers developed early. He was an orphan with an angry stepbrother, Juggernaut. He was paralyzed by the alien Lucifer in a battle in Tibet. He formed a relationship with FBI agent Fred Duncan and then started recruiting the five teens to the X-Men. First, there was the orphan Scott Summers, who had ruby quartz glasses to block his optic blasts. Uh, he had to save Scott from the evil influence of the mutant Jack Winters or Jack of Diamonds. Then there was Bobby Drake, the teen who could manipulate cold, who had nearly been lynched in his home for being a mutant. Then there was Warren Worthington III, the son of billionaires who lived an isolated life in a boarding school, keeping his wings private from his friends and his family, and he'd started a life as the avenging angel. Uh, then Henry McCoy, the agile football player with giant hands and feet who had to save his parents from the evil conquistador when he tried to exploit McCoy. And then finally, uh, Jean Grey or Marvel Girl, the gorgeous redhead with telekinetic powers who was lusted after by every member of the team, including Professor X himself. <laughs> and we get, a gorgeous, we get a gorgeous cover in Children of the Atom, uh, showing the X-Men and their civilian identities, five teenagers with very different personalities, huddled together as the specter of the X-Men looms in the sky above them. Now we're gonna talk about this a little at the end, but this is not considered in continuity. Uh, Joe Casey changed some key details, primarily the five X-Men all go to the same high school in the Children of the Atom series, which does not take place in the real continuity. They're from different cities and even states. But for today, we're gonna to celebrate this beautiful book uh, just by reading the first issue script live. This is the nerdiest thing I've perhaps ever done as an adult. <laughs> I'm super excited about it. So thank you, uh, Justin, Alicia, and Steve for joining me. Uh, we're all gonna be playing multiple parts. I'll read these just quickly. I will be doing the narrator, the character Chad, Cy, Lance, and Agent Kane. Justin will be, uh, Justin, do you want to read your character list? Oh, no. I'll do it. Uh, Justin will be uh, Charles Xavier, Starkey, Teacher, Joey, Arthur, and Warren. Uh, Alicia will be William Metzger, Elaine Gray, Lisa, I'm sorry, Liza, the coach, Ruben, and Jimmy. And Steve is going to be uh, Fred Duncan, John Gray, Mikey, the principal, Hank, and Big D. So we're just doing this live. We're just going to release it as is, and we're just going to have a good time as we go. Uh, so with that, we will go ahead and uh, begin our reading. Okay. Let's do we, it. Page one. We see an image of homes burning, firemen rushing to put it out as medical technicians get people to safety. A reporter covers his nose with a rag as he speaks to the civilians, relaying information back to a female reporter at the station for the program Datebook. Emergency crews are still pulling survivors out of the carnage you see behind me. The fire caused by a teenager named Michael Thompson, stemming from what some call his suspected mutant abilities. There, you can see the bodies being brought out, burned beyond all recognition. Michael Thompson is among those dead. This is a tragedy beyond anything this small town has ever witnessed. That was the scene in Midtown, Missouri, just three weeks ago since the issue of so-called mutants has rocketed into the public consciousness. The ramifications of the Middletown incident are still being felt. And while the issue of relief aid is still in question, no one is sure if they ever even want to rebuild here. We lost everything, our home, all our possessions. We got out alive, but I can't believe this happened here. I knew there was something strange about that Thompson kid but nothing like this, I, I can't, excuse me. So just how much of a threat are we facing? Is this the next step in human evolution or something else entirely? This tragedy sparked immediate reaction 
from a new face on the national scene, William Metzger, leader of the anti-mutant militia and publisher of the underground newspaper, The Militia Press. This is what he had to say. Page two, we cut to William Metzger, a middle-aged man who bears no small resemblance to Adolf Hitler in his red and black military uniform as he rants about mutants in front of the symbol for the anti-mutant militia, which is a crossed pair of flaming swords. We are not a hate group. If anything, we're revolutionaries, an active underground fighting for the rights of humanity. Considering what we're now facing, we are a necessary organization. I stand for a force of man, and I will stand up for any man willing to fight for his place in the world. I believe in politics of the deed. There is only one true politics, politics of the deed. Politics of the deed that have sparked intense violence, independent acts of aggression that have take, that take Metzger rhetoric as gospel in Texas, a teenager, rumored to be a mutant, dragged to his death from the back of a truck. There is humanity and there is mutanity. One has endured for all of recorded time. The other is a menace that seeks to pervade and destroy. They are, simply put, a genetic corruption. Metzger is correct. When he identifies the genetic component, the key to mutants occurs literally at a cellular level, at a key developmental stage. Cells become mutated, along for the potential for superhuman powers. From what little we know about mutants, it's likely that Michael Thompson had no idea of the ability he possessed. Scientists call it manifesting. A preliminary study purports there is no way to predict who will manifest mutant abilities. But what is known is that this manifestation coincides with puberty which makes adolescents the prime candidates for this horrifying transformation. And oddly enough, recruitment into Metzger's anti-mutant militia. These disaffected youths, unsure of their futures, are lining up for his cause. And for Metzger himself, the support for homo sapien rights is building. This is just the beginning. The genetic lines have been drawn. What occurs next cannot be pinned on me, no matter how extreme things may appear. Just look at Middletown. So what occurs next is inevitable. Page three, we move to an FBI office where Agent Fred Duncan has been shown this news report by his supervisor, Agent Kane. Well, convinced Agent Duncan? The only thing I'm convinced of is that the media is blowing this way out of proportion, as usual. Given that maniac Metzger's screen time makes me wonder who the real threat is. A choice between mutants and Metzger? I'll take Metzger. I've seen his type before. The fact is, since this has become a national story, now I've got people breathing down my neck asking me what the FBI is going to do about it. And what are we going to do about it? I want you to do a little digging, Fred. We don't make our decisions based on date book news reports, but we also don't shirk our responsibilities. Ah, that's a relief. Page four. Cut the sarcasm. This is for real. Think of your kids. I'm not married, but I get the point. You hide your paranoia well, sir. Duncan leaves and returns to his private office, ignoring the glares from his fellow federal agents. He speaks into a tape recorder, not noticing a man in the shadows. I'm not sure how I feel about this, Bill. Can't tell if we're on the verge of mass hysteria or if this is just more media hype. 
we both know that once something hits middle America, when mom and baseball and apple pie are suddenly threatened, only then will someone pick up this crisis hotline and call us. Maybe it is an inevitability. Let's talk about inevitabilities, Agent Duncan. Who's there? Page five, Duncan turns to confront the stranger, reaching for his gun. Think of your kids, he told you. Typical. How'd you get in here? Who are you? I go where I choose. I have that freedom. Many like me don't. I'm still waiting for an explanation. Agent Duncan, you're this close to being brainwashed into believing that mutants are your enemy, a virus to be eliminated, a pestilence to be exterminated. That isn't truly your point of view, is it? My views are my own, Mr. Uh... Xavier, Charles Xavier. I'm a college professor. I teach genetics at Columbia. Well, I'm at a loss, Professor. You've evaded high-level security systems, waltzed into my office to repeat part of a conversation verbatim that you couldn't possibly have overheard. I know what your superiors are planning. A witch hunt, no doubt. You watch too much TV. This isn't the anti-mutant militia. I've merely been assigned an investigation. Look into the mutant issue. Find out what's there. Hopefully, we can make some sense of all of this, unlike Metzger. Sociopaths like William Metzger will be dealt with, I assure you. Page six. I'm here offering you a choice, Agent Duncan. You're no fool. You know exactly how the FBI intends to handle this. No sympathy, no tolerance, no mercy. I know you're not one of them. What are you, a mind reader? <laughs> Xavier smiles as we change scenes to the dorm room of Warren Worthington III, who is putting on his superhero costume as the Avenging Angel. Newspapers litter the floor with headlines about Captain America, the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man, modern heroes in a new age, but others uh, about the dangers of mutants among them. The Avenging Angel on page seven takes to the sky when he spies a man with a knife robbing a woman. Angel swoops down and takes the man into the sky. This bucket ain't no benzo. Mom's and you foul too. Put the goodies in the bag. Page eight, two cops walk in their car just before Angel drops the thief on their hood. They notice the wingman flying away. So you heard what happened at the Bijou? Yeah, that big monster, right? Jose was there. Monster came to life, stomped around a bit. Then the FF finally brought it down. I saw the note the guy sent. I'd declare war on the whole human race. What a nut. Yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> the city's getting weirder and weirder, Nikki. What's next? Jeez, look at our ride, man. What in? Mother fell right out of the sky. Nikki, what? Page nine, Charles Xavier visits the home of John and Elaine Gray. He's been working with their daughter, Jean, for a few years after a traumatic incident caused her telepathic powers to emerge too early. She needs more. I can continue my periodic visits. I have no problem with that. But I'm telling you right now, she needs more. Well, what exactly do you have in mind, Charles? What I'm thinking of is radical, I'll admit. But these are radical times. She's come a long way these past few years, but her abilities are considerable, and I doubt that I could do much more for her under these house call conditions. So this would be like a school? In a sense. She will receive a more intensive instruction, one that I will fully prepare her to integrate into the world. As it stands, she's simply not ready. It's not just about control anymore. It's about self-defense. 
you've been watching the news. There is no tolerance for these kids. The, uh, there are others like Jean who need a place like this. They need a place where they can learn to accept themselves, a place where they don't have to live in fear. Behind Xavier, a television shows footage of Angel flying. Page 10, Xavier sips his coffee, casually holding a photo of Scott Summers as the Greys struggle with his words. In the background, Jean Grey twirls leaves around her in a surge of pink telekinetic energy. I've made contact at the FBI. I'll be using my father's estate in Salem Center. And there's another I'm about to approach, an orphan. We haven't let Jean watch the news reports, but I think she knows. She doesn't seem scared, though. She's a strong-willed girl. I can certainly relate. John, Elaine, I want you to trust me. I can't do this without Jean. We'll have to think about this, talk it over. I understand this is a big step, but I wouldn't be suggesting it if I didn't think it was absolutely necessary. Personally, I don't see that she has any other choice. Page 11, we move to a student news report at Freeport High School. Then the principal makes announcements over the public address system. Freeport school board officials insist that the gang-related stabbing is not indicative of the general school environment. In a related story, the board's financial debt has risen to $1 million, a figure that the board disputes. <clears throat> Remember that homecoming queen ballots are due by the end of the week, so cast your votes now. We'll be having a pep rally the day before the game, and I want to really see that team spirit in action. Support our Red Devils. School Superintendent Peterson has assured me that the maintenance on the air conditioning system could begin as soon as next week. Budget concerns pending. In the meantime, drink plenty of liquids and dress comfortably. Hang in there, students. A group of bullies walks down the hall picking on kids. Their leader, Chad, wears a pentagram on his back and smokes in the hallway as his friends Mikey, Starkey, and Liza trail behind him. Dig for that gold, baby, whatever it may be. Clear out, kid. Hey! Go spank yourself, Chad. Don't you have a Hitler youth rally to get to? Zig Heil and all that good stuff. Hey, watch out, Chad. Hey, Starkey, what's the sitch on the game? You go to that game. Never been. Maybe the mascot will give you what you, what for? Kid can't hang. Thinking about running for homecoming queen, people? Who's got my back? Am I pretty? <laughs> you got a pair, Mikey. Hey, we got plans this weekend? I got the 411 on the rally at Eisenhower Park. Gonna be a gang of scene. Mets gonna speak and then we gonna hook up with Arthur himself. Too sweet. We gotta play it cool, though. You guys see Metzger on the date book? Guy's wacko. Don't make me bust you, Eliza. Metzger's the man. He knows what's going down in America, baby. And he's got righteous muscle to back him up. The dude is living large. Check. Mike, <laughs> Mikey holds up the Militia Press newspaper. The Militia Press? Where'd you get that? I got my ways, little girl. This thing is like a homo sapien manifesto. What we gotta do and how we gotta do it. Let me see, man. Spread out, Lance. Uh, oh, look what's coming, Starkey. Mr. Football McCoy himself, new school hero, blah, blah, blah. Check out the hands and the feet. Why don't they cage this freak? Bro, the guy scores points on the gridiron, thinks that makes him untouchable. Makes me want to puke. Hank McCoy walks down the hall surrounded by friends with an arm around two girls. Two, Well, an arm around each of two girls. Page 13, nearby, Xavier meets with the principal in his office. 
Well, I must say, your resume and references are impeccable. I guess my last question would have to be, why here? Don't sell your school short. Just because you haven't had a proper guidance program for years doesn't mean you don't deserve one. Forgive me, Mr. Alexander. I'm not questioning your motives. Not at all. I'm sure you're aware of our unique reputation. We've seen our share of strife, gang violence, drugs, financial problems. Now the air conditioning. We've got it all. Oh, I'm aware. I believe these kids need me. We can't ignore these problems you're talking about. They exist. Meeting them head on is the best way to deal with them. You'll see all types here. Perfect. You don't know how anxious I am to talk to these kids. Get to know them. Find out what makes them tick. And in the end, hopefully help them in ways they couldn't possibly have predicted. Out to change the world, Mr. Alexander? You have no idea. <laughs> Welcome aboard, Mr. Alexander. Good to have you. We'll have someone show you to your office. Page 14. In the school, a skinny, quiet Scott Summers trips and falls down right in front of the school coach. You seedlings get to class before I bust you one. Hey, watch it. You new kid? What's your name, son? Summers. Scott Summers. Summers, huh? Well, we need to learn some manners, don't we, Summers? Well? Yes. Get to class, son. And you ain't winning any fashion points with those shades, boy. I'd watch it if I were you. Worthless. Page 15. The bullies in history class uh, make fun of Bobby as he shivers in the back row. Settle down, people. I know we're all suffering from this miserable heat. Score more points for the school board. But there's still some U.S. history to be learned, so crack open your textbooks. Hot up in this mug. You know he ain't sweating. <sighs> Chad, Ruben, you guys care to join the rest of us here? You're sacrificing your education by talking amongst yourselves. Whatever. Think the teacher's a mutie? Power of flop sweat? Ha ha ha. Forget him. He ain't worth eyeballing. So the real question mark, is he or ain't he? The freshman, I mean. Drake, look at him, bro. Ain't it obvious? Page 16 in the cafeteria, Hank eats a hearty lunch as his friends fawn over him, including Joey and Jimmy. How much can you scarf on a day, Hank? Much as he wants, sister, right, baby? Don't make me blush, Joey. What's got your brow furrowed, Jimbo? Yeah, Jimmy, tell the master. My what? Oh, I got Raymond for biology, man. This is too far gone. I don't know what I'm reading here. Greek to me, man. You know, anything about this science stuff? No, that stuff's over my head too. Page 17, across the cafeteria are Chad, Starkey, Ruben, Lance, and Liza looking at the anti-mutant propaganda. This paper is rad. This paper is sick. Then don't read it, skank. Some folks can't accept the truth anyway. Maybe you're one of them, Liza. Better hope not. Is that a fact? You don't want to know how we stomp muties, Kay. You ain't in the militia yet, Starkey. Matter of time, that's all. Hey, check the new kid. Yeah, he's a suspect already. Heard he's got no folks. Heard he lives in the Northeast. Those specs are setting off my radar, bro. He may require a good stomping, huh? No doubt. Page 18. Meanwhile, Hank approaches Scott, who's reading Beyond Good and Evil by Nietzsche. 
He's speaking to Scott before walking away as Xavier watches and nearby Bobby is freezing in the stairwell, unable to control it. Nietzsche, good book, read it when I was nine. Mind if I join you ladies? You two look so alone over here. Page 19, we skip to the television, different shows being broadcast. Tonight on America's most contemptible, uniformed officers put their lives on the line. Day in, day out, the nation's highways can be an unforgiving arena. Case in point, Albuquerque, New Mexico, a routine stop for a highway patrol officer, Kenny Kerner, approaching a car he had pulled over for speeding. Officer Kerner was suddenly thrust into a life or death situation. As it turns out, the driver in question was a mutant, a teenager joyriding without a license. Officer Kerner was temporarily blinded, temporarily blinded and was hospitalized for several days after. Hi, I'm Tabitha. Today on 24 Hour Video, we've got the hottest band in the country here in the studio, along with the, their most controversial lead singer. We're glad to have Charlie Monroe stopping by for a visit. Okay, let's get the rumors out of the way first, Charlie. The papers claim you're a mutant. You certainly haven't been shy about exposing your other proclivities. Are you hiding your mutanity? Well, I'll tell you this, if I were a mutant, I wouldn't be so shy about saying so. Tabloids are just prejudiced, afraid of what they don't understand. I've had to deal with what that ignorance for most of my career. The Jerry Dingler Show. I've been trying to tell you for weeks, Dad. I'm not just not going through a phase with this look. I'm a mutant. Woo! You're no son of mine. You freaking dad. No, I love. As you can see, this issue can't be resolved overnight. We've still got a ways to go before this hysteria dies down or burns itself out. I'll be back for a final thought after this. Page 20. The news reports continue. I'm Bentley Schaefer. Tonight on Empty Minutes, an extensive profile on the latest threat to the common man mutants, as well as an exclusive expose on national figure William Metzger. Metzger has been busy these past few weeks, traveling the country, delivering anti-mutant speeches that whip spectators into a frenzy. Some call him a born leader, while others go so far as to call him a prophet. In any case, Metzger and his anti-mutant militia are a lightning rod for violence and death. Murder is sweeping the country like the latest fad. The victims? Innocent teenagers suspected of possessing abilities that... The last program ends with the image of bodies hanging from trees. Page 21, Xavier returns to his giant austere mansion where he's activated the machine he built there for tracking mutants called Cerebro. Cerebro, initiate tracking sequences. Tri-state area, full sweep, execute. Page 22, back to the news, focusing on the anti-mutant militia rally. Signs proclaim the flaming swords and, quote, homo sapien power. Massive anti-mutant parade and rally taking place tonight in Eisenhower Park, with militia leader William Metzger planning to address the thousands of spectators expected. You people need to ask yourselves, why are you here? What do you feel the need to come here and listen to me tell you things that in your hearts you already know? <clears throat> oh, do you need affirmation? Hold on, <clears throat> Mr. Meltzer needs some water. <clears throat> well, here it is. What happened in Middletown was America's wake up call 
No longer will we sit idly on the sidelines while a new breed displaces us on the evolutionary chain. We are not prepared to go the way of the dinosaur. Homo sapiens will not go quietly from this earth. We will fight and we will win. These aberrations, these mutants have arrived like thieves in the night. They have attacked our very way of life. For those who would claim they're just children should heed my words. These are not your children. Don't think for one moment that they are. You have come here seeking the truth and the truth is this. What we have gathered here tonight is strength. The human race possesses a strength that no mutant could possibly withstand, a pure and noble strength. But it is up to us to prove it. We're fighting for our survival here. We are what are we prepared to do? How far are we willing to go? The existence of mutants is not God's will. It is man that was created in God's image. Our course of action is the product of divine will. Page 23, the bullies cheer at the rally. Xavier listens on the perimeter. Dude gives good truth. Solid. Reading my mind. Hey, watch it. Let's go. We've got a rave to hit up. A rave up to hit. <laughs> <clears throat> The movements grow stronger every day. To join us is merely a commitment to life, to human endurance. It's a commitment to the values our grandparents taught us. This world is ours. It is ours by right, ours by destiny. Mutanity is a plague, but plagues can be destroyed. And that destruction is also our right, our destiny. Amen. Page 24, back at the FBI office. Oh, some guy named Trask wants us to pitch us a solution to the mutant problem. Oh, it's a problem now. His words, not mine. Although he seems serious, I'll send you a hard copy of his proposal. Something about robotics and a working prototype. He's based out of New York. Fine. We're doing the usual background check. The guy's probably psychotic. Most of them are. Of course, it's always nice when someone's willing to do the dirty work for us. Night, Freddy. I think things are escalating, Bill. On every side. I'm operating on two fronts at once. My superiors, like our friend Agent Kane, seem intent on placating the national hysteria by considering Metzger-like tactics. Then there's Charles Xavier. I set him up a false identity so he could go play guidance counselor at some Long Island high school. Why? I have no idea. He told me to trust him. The question is, should I? Can anyone afford to be so trusting right now? Page 25 at the rave. People are going crazy on the dance floor while our bullies talk to Big D, the club owner who's counting his cash. Quite the setup, huh? Big D, this party's smoking. Hey, Chad, get your lips off my butt, all right? You made it, so chill. I don't just let anyone back here. Here's a question. If there was a mutie in this room, what would you do? Who, me? I just point to him, because just point me to him, because you'd be seeing brains on the pavement. Right on, Chief. Friggin' A. A muscly guy, Arthur, joins the conversation. You're only halfway there, scrub. Don't forget the parents that spawned it. They gotta go, too. Got them on their knees. 
give them two in the back of the head. Then you burn the ground they died on. Leave no trace. Everything a mutie touches is contaminated beyond salvation. Page 26. Serious. Preaching. <laughs> Home up, Arthur. Pass this on to the Met. We made much money tonight. Yup. You got uh, something else lined up? Soon as our man gives the word. Seems like he was talking Penn State. College campus. Always a hot spot. You never know who's sitting beside you in home ec, right? Dude, you'd be cooking the food without an oven. Hey, um, Arthur, we're just waiting, you know? Give us a sign, man. We want in, all of us. What can we do? Well, boys, there's a little matter of initiation. Gonna have to think about that one. We can always use more soldiers in this war. Strength in numbers. But what we really need is dedication. We gotta know how much you hate because hate is power, homo sapien power. I'll be in touch, boys. Angel flies on on page 27 as the news reports on his life as Warren Worthington. The scene at the limelight was a typical Manhattan glitz, bringing out the beautiful people like teen solicit, teen, so teen socialite, Warren Worthington III, heir to the Worthington fortune. This local bad boy was a sight for stargazed stargazers outside. I'm always happy to show my support for good cause like this. Just another night on the town, right? Anyone know what charity we're here for? Finally, more reports on the mysterious Birdman that several eyewitnesses claim to have seen buzzing the skyscrapers of Manhattan. Police are neither confirming nor denying. On the last five pages, 28 through 32, a roof explodes off of a building. A sentinel rushes through the air, slamming into Angel, who manages to break the sentinel's eye before rushing into a traffic to evade the robot. But the sentinel just blasts through semi-trucks, putting civilians in danger, and nearly catches the Angel before a malfunction causes the sentinel to blast apart and fall into a river. Off in the distance, we see Magneto watching. To be continued. Bum, bum, bum. Next time on the X-Men. <laughs> I think we're all ready for our auditions for the X-Men animated series as voice actors now. Yes, let's go, please. Seriously. Yeah, having heard it, I gotta say your Xavier voice is so good. Nice. Astounding. Really killer. I've been reading uh, TJ Klune's um, House on the Cerulean Sea to my children, and there's like 12 characters, and they all have a voice, a different voice. And every time we open the book, I'm like, oh, fuck, which was, which, what voice was this? What voices did I do? <laughs> I had a hard time trying to figure out a voice for Fred Duncan, and somehow it just ends up coming out as like extremely cartoonish Columbo. <laughs> wait, which, wait, wait, the kid one that was like, you were, you yes. were hard Morty. Yes. You were Morty so hard. And I was, yeah, for the kid, absolutely. I, I do that voice all the time when I'm doing like, when I'm reading like EC comics and there's like an old man that I want to make sound like a little weirdo, but I don't know why that ended up being the teenager voice. It was perfection. I loved it so much. I will, I will forever be having on autoplay in my head, Alicia telling me to go spank myself. That was, <laughs> yeah. that was insane. Go spank yourself, Chad. <laughs> There's some weird dialogue in this. Like, get yeah, your lips yeah. off my butt, man. Like, wow. <laughs> so, so can we talk about this book for just a few minutes? So uh, written in the late 90s, it seems very clear to me, Joe Casey, I have not interviewed him, uh, was really trying hard to capture a 1960s feel. Most of the characters in this feel like they're like right out of Greece. 
or mm-hmm, yeah. or something like the dialogue, <laughs> the the bullies. Uh, what were some of your thoughts on the way this was portrayed? It definitely lent itself to the way I ended up doing the voices because I ended up just doing a bunch of like old timey New York voices for most of the characters. It's just <laughs> the way that it was written is so like it's so heightened and it's so dramatic and campy in the way that mm-hmm. like a lot of older gang films seem today, you know, and like, I don't know, maybe that's what it is. Joe Casey, his dialogue always is like sort of off to me in the way that it doesn't ever sound like real humans in the modern era in which he's writing. And I, I wonder if that's a stylistic choice. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, and you think about trying to capture the dialogue from the original run, which mm-hmm. where and I was not alive then, but did people really talk like that? Because that's ridiculous. <laughs> they did actually say things like Yebo. Yeah. I think I think that's how we see a lot of uh, media back then showing yeah. people talk. I don't know if that's a reflection of how they talked in real life. Uh, what did you think this uh, the script did well? Really, I mean, the main core of it was introducing this problem, quote unquote. You know, the the distrust with the potential that could be around, and I feel like that was underscored throughout a lot of the news stories, the conversation with the agents, and then just Xavier's commitment to his cause on the other side. Sure. Yeah, Xavier yeah, is really good, sorry. No, no, you're good. I also really enjoyed the way that like through the different perspectives, whether it was like the different TV shows or the students or um, the news instances that are happening, like we're building the world. So it's not just one group that we're seeing feel threatened or concerned about mutants like we're seeing where it's coming from everywhere so it really sets up the world really nicely uh uh i thought if i'm if i'm uh, trying to tell the story as a writer uh you have to make the threat of against mutants uh viable which is something that didn't really happen in the 60s much right they, you know, they keep talking about this world that oppresses them, but they just look like privileged kids living in a mansion. <laughs> Occasionally humans yell at them. But this this really amps it up. This makes everything feel like it was uh, like the South during the civil rights era or or like fucking Nazi Germany during, during uh, the war. Like people being lynched and hung from trees and kids joining groups and talking about, you know, pulling kids out of the classroom that they might expect are mutants. Uh, it amps the threat up a lot, which is an interesting thing, but it was kind of campy and almost took it too far for me. With with amping the threat up, actually something that really jumped out at me when I was reading this is I realized this comic came out in 1999. And when I got to the part about a mutant boy being dragged from the back of a truck, like that's that's James Byrd Jr. Sure. Like, sure. right. Like this is directly after James Byrd Jr.'s murder. This is directly after yeah. Matt Shepard was murdered. It, a lot in this seems like ripped from the headlines and repurposed for making the threat against mutants seem so much more real. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine honestly reading this in 1999 and having known about what happened to Bird and Shepard and then reading this. It would have been like it was it's a little bit of a gut punch reading it now, honestly, because yeah. it's, it's very real. Right. And like, this is kind of, yeah, it's, this is the kind of stuff that I'm like, this was really happening then. It's really happening now. And it like. Yeah, it's at some points it starts to feel a little too far for a mutant comic, right? But like, man, it really made it seem present and timely. 
I mean, we want to say we want to say it takes it too far, but the mutant comics how often use concentration camps and death hunting robots. You know what I mean? So, but yeah, it just it it really hits that metaphor hard. There is no there is no hiding the fact that Metzger is based off of Hitler. He's got the black mustache. He's in the rally. It's uh, yeah, it was interesting. Alicia, I was kind of hoping you'd use a Trump voice. Oh God, I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't. Can't bring myself to ever do that. Yeah, I I do enough of that. Yeah. I do think that like there are things like things that I've seen videos I've watched recently of like people actually preaching very similar sentences to that things that are being said in this script. And um, when I was reading it and getting ready to actually have to be the one to say those things, it like took me a minute. Like I was like, I don't know if I can do this for a second because I've been feeling personally like very aware excuse me, of everything and and just like very affected by everything that's been going on lately. So uh, reading it and having to like put myself in a place where I was like saying it and trying to say it with conviction was just like, wow, I literally just watched a video where like someone said something just like this about people living in our country right now. So it is really relevant, but it's like, it's interesting because when you said like, is it taking it too far? It's like, is it is it too real or is that? Yeah, I guess it's not taking it too far. I mean, we're passing laws all over this country that say it's dangerous to talk uh, to kids in the classroom about the word gay, you know, which right. emphasizes without saying it, that gay people are a danger to children. So yeah, no, I guess it, it is not that far of a cry from real reality. Oh, that's sobering. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had to stop and read the middle of reading this. I was like doing my silly voice. I was like, oh, this is fun. And I get to like a little bit in and I was like, oh, this is some real shit actually. Yeah. Yeah, which it's it's important, right? It's important to take a look at it again and be like, wow, this is still relevant. Like this was what, almost 30 years ago? Yeah, it's not a threat that mm-hmm. has gone away so much as it just disappeared from maybe the mainstream public eye for a little bit and yeah. right back into it. Yeah, the time periods are interesting because the first X-Men came out right after civil rights uh, era, you know, the freedom writers and all of that stuff. And then, then, yeah, in the late 90s, it would have been after uh, a lot of the gay bashings and different things we've been referencing, but also police violence toward black people. That's, uh, yeah, that's a lot of heavy. And we're still seeing those same headlines nowadays. Uh, Or the X-Men are more needed than ever, I suppose, to create that voice. Uh, I was interested or intrigued how uh, the X-Men characters are very little used in this issue. Uh, Angel kind of being the most prominent, like they really played up his attempts at heroism. Um, But it was a bold narrative decision. You you see Gene for like a panel. Yeah, Yeah. they're they're almost background. They're Mm. they're just there to be, oh, we'll get to them next issue, maybe, I don't know. (laughs) Which they do, if you uh, go on and read, it's a good series. Um, But yeah, it's showing the world around them or what the the need for them is and all of that. It's, It's interesting. I also really love the use of the Fred Duncan character who has only appeared a handful of times throughout like all of continuity. Uh, we're gonna do a Patreon episode on him sometime soon. Um, but uh, Duncan, uh, he really, he's like such a part of the early books because of that connection to Xavier, but they never do much with him. And then they kind of hint he's connected to the executioner, right? The Carl Denti guy in the nineties, but that's really all, but they kind of made him the feature character here. He was uh, he was the bogey for our story. Yeah. <laughs> interesting choice to choose fred duncan like in all regards just because like he is as you said he must be best known today for being the guy who inspired executioner to become a bigot which never made any sense to me because he's like my friend really liked mutants loved mutants he was actually like trying to help mutants all the time but then he died because he was always trying to help mutants so now i hate mutants 
Yep. Carl, you need to go to therapy. Weak, weak origin <laughs> story. Uh, this was uh, this was interesting. It's giving me some things to chew on, but also it was just really delightful, mostly to do the bully voices with you guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. to break out an old timey voice anytime. When you said when you said like oh, it felt like very much from Greece, like I based the majority of my youth characters on Newsies in Greece, and that was it. That was wonderful. And someone get poor William Metzger a lozenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. trying to make him sound grimy and i feel like tomorrow i'm gonna wake up and be like <gasps> you're trying to teach your class just... tomorrow hey everybody and welcome to rehearsal death to mutants <laughs> that was really good he sounded like a lich uh duncan was gonna be much more like benjamin Grimm, but i couldn't make it through a couple lines without choking so no that was uh that was fun but also very thought provoking we're not going to go back and read the rest of the series but i'd encourage everyone to pick it up the big sell for me even more than the story is the steve rude art it's very like uh superman's pal jimmy olsen kind of style of art it's like very wholesome all-american uh it's gorgeous you guys heard us talk to steve about this series on our last episode uh so yeah check check the series out it's a it's a really interesting read and it's a really comparative analysis to what is currently existing in the x-men world so uh, that is an alternate universe somewhere with a different origin story uh, by Threads. Uh, as we're wrapping up today, what is, uh, what is coming up for all of you guys? We'll put this episode out around July 27th. So if you can think of anything that you'd like to announce and plug any content and uh, where can we find you online? Uh, Alicia and Justin first. Well, you can find us all over the internet at The Ex-Wife Podcast. That's T-H-E-X-W-I-F-E. And we talk about the current Krakoan era, the books that come out week to week, recapping what's going on, asking ourselves the big questions and trying to put it all together to unconfuse some sections. And we'll probably be just on the other side of the Hellfire Gala mm. and ramping up for AXE, the crossover between the Avengers, Externals, Eternals, and X-Men. So good. Uh, I'm really excited about AXE. Kieran Gillen's uh, Eternals was one of my favorites. I'm so happy to see it continuing. Uh, it's going to be great. And I listen to your podcast literally every week. My kids know your names. They're like, oh, you're listening to those guys again. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and uh, Steve, how about you? Uh, well, I will be, you can find me by the time this comes out with Access for Podcast. We're on Twitter at Access for Podcast. We're on Instagram, I think. Um, you can find us anywhere you pick up your podcasts. I listen to us on Google. Um, and we will also be coming right off of the Hellfire Gala and getting ready for AXE. You said it so well, but that's what we'll be amping up for. That's what we'll be excited for in the summer's podcasting stuff. And we'll be recording every Sunday and releasing throughout the week. Uh, I read all of the new books, but because find people like the three of you here cover the new books i'm covering the 60s stuff yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so uh coming up on gray malkin lane you can uh look forward to uh, dan jurgens uh and the trial of namor the submariner and we've got triana farrell right after that so some really fun stuff coming up on the first appearances of uh lorna dane and havoc and uh some other characters as well so lots of great content uh, as well as Neil Adams right around the corner. We're getting there. Uh, Gray Malkin Lane is on Instagram under Gray Malkin underscore Lane and on uh, Twitter under Gray Malkin PP like podcast. I've also been releasing weekly uh, character focused Patreon episodes for the first time. So if you'd like to, it's just $3 a month. It's me and a friend exploring uh, ridiculous content around some of my favorite 60s characters. 
Uh, and shortly after this, I'm going to release the one I'm most excited for. Uh, Sarah Century and I are going to do a deep cut into the full history of Vera Cantor, who is my favorite X character of all time, perhaps. Uh, so come listen to why I love her. Uh, thank you, everybody. This was fun. We'll see you uh, back here next time on Grey Muggling.